0: That's why I think that shame is a good thing.
1: Eat, eat the rich. Neolibs
0: are a bitch. Medicare for all. Bros can suck my balls. Fuck your reply guys. Please don't fuck your reply guys. Just listen to reply guys welcome to the first ever episode of reply guys i'm kate willett i'm julia claire thank you so much for being with us kate we did it we're finally here
1: we are reply guys we are reply we are, guys. are our reply guys we have become what we hate
0: we <laughs> we've been on the internet too long and now we're monsters
1: so <laughs> all right so okay uh in real life we are two stand-up comedians um New York City. New York City. We are a recording in my apartment in Brooklyn. Uh we want to talk a little bit about why we're doing this podcast, what it is, and how we came to be? That sounded, uh, sounded passive-aggressive the way I was like, do we want to do this? Um, <laughs> yeah, do you want to start uh, contributing to our friendship? I don't know. <laughs> I
0: don't know. Yeah. Guess what? I'm still on the fence. Um, no, I... Yeah, we... You know Kate and I have talked for a long time about
1: we are friends in real life we are uh, uh, that's at least my impression No we are Thank I you.
0: I can uh, I can verify uh, yeah we're we're friends we're we're comedians we're leftists and
1: we have strong opinions as of now neither of us is verified on Twitter
0: <laughs> Which, We hope it
1: changes but also we're not basing ourselves forth on it. Yeah how dare you Twitter? I don't know. No, I
0: actually don't even know if I want to be verified because I feel like women on Twitter who are verified get even more shit for whatever reason. I don't know.
1: So I think Julia and I and you know, correct me if I'm wrong. I don't want to speak for you, but like I feel like we have a similar trajectory in the sense that like we have both been feminists for a long time. Yeah, I've been feminist since I was three years old. Um, I demanded uh, that. the girls form an alliance um to beat the boys in all competitive wow. sports games in my preschool um i would have uh dreams about defeating justin and the boys <laughs> justin was the, the the toddler that i decided was the leader and so feminism has been a thing that's important to me for a long time um but i think i started identifying as a socialist in the past few years really i mean i I think i always kind of was but it wasn't something that like i really thought was possible or viable until post 2016 is that also true for you yes yeah i would
0: say that that's a fair characterization of me as well except i i mean i was not a feminist since i was three years old i did recently i know um i'm canceled already but i I did recently find a, a progress report from middle school where I argued for women in combat um, <laughs> for whatever reason. Um, and one of my teachers called me a feminist. Um, and so, yeah, um, women in the military is definitely the more female ICE agents of <laughs> 2002, I think, but um, but yeah, I also took a detour as a, a guy's gal, I think, in my my teen years. But um, I grew out of that, as I hope everyone should. <laughs> and yeah, I think that I've become, like, with every year, pretty much, of my twenties, I've become increasingly radical. Um, and now I'm here and I have a podcast, which is, as we know, the most radical. <laughs>
1: yeah. So the way that we started doing this is, um, you know, like Julia and I, I think we, c- we connected. We connected on a thread uh, originally about if Bernie bros were real. Yes. Um, we both said that they are like we are, are leftists who believe that Bernie bros were a thing, maybe a thing that was. Uh, like, kind of purposefully talked about to nefarious ends in many cases. But it was used as a cudgel. Yeah, but so we were, but you know, like, we we are extremely online ladies with opinions. And um, we first connected in a Facebook thread uh, about that. And then I think, um, yeah, we, we've been making fun of all-male leftist podcasts for a long time. I actually think we only know one all-male leftist podcast for real and... We are friends with them. Yeah. Uh, they they helped us get the equipment for this. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> uh, we, I mean, they recommended it. We look, bought it with our own hard-earned feminist you know, capitalist money.
0: Did we but, sell out immediately? Yes. And yeah. we will continue to do that for yeah. the duration of this podcast. <laughs> did
1: we ask the patriarchy nicely for a favor? We did. Guess
0: what we did. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah.
1: But... Uh, <laughs> They're
0: very nice.
1: So, you know, I think that I have become a lot more radical even in the past, like, few months. I was... so. Here's like here's a little story that takes some emotional detours. Um, so you know, Julie and I we made fun of all male leftist podcasts a lot. Uh, I subtweeted all male leftist podcasts a year ago, about a year ago in June. I said <laughs> the anniversary. Yeah, it's, it's the anniversary <laughs> of the subtweet that changed my life. So what I said was, uh, you know, it's really hard for me to accept that no matter how progressive I become, I will never. Be able to be the co-host of an all male leftist <laughs> podcast. Um, so, a co-host of an all male leftist podcast that I will not name. He got mad about this. Um, we had a Twitter fight, uh, and then uh, I started dating a different co-host of that same all male leftist podcast, and
0: the ultimate act of feminist rebellion. <laughs>
1: yeah, yeah. It was a little sassy. It was a little flirty, uh, and we, and we fell in love, and then we argued about. Um, Socialism and feminism for six months in a way that was uh, usually productive, but sometimes hard. And one of the last arguments that we had was about uh, Medicare for all if Warren's plan would be enough, like if she wanted there to be some private insurance. We had a, a big argument about this. And I think at that time, I was like, ah, maybe there's a place for private insurance somewhere. Doesn't matter. Uh, but anyway, you know, a couple months after that, This is really sad. He passed away, and part of the reason he passed away was because he did not have health insurance and um, he had a condition that he needed some treatment for. And um, it's been a really fucked up few months, but I think that um, one thing that it's clarified for me is that it is essential that we have Medicare for All and um, we're completely fucked if we keep going on this capitalist trajectory That we're on and that for me as a feminist, like what how I've thought about feminism, like really I think has to change and I think I don't know, become something that is much more encompassing than the way that I thought about feminism in the past. And so that's part of the reason that I wanted to do this podcast. And the other reason I wanted to do this podcast is to be passive aggressive and finally fucking own all male (laughs) leftist podcasting.
0: Guess what? We'll see your all-male leftist podcast and raise you two white women. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Yeah. that's called progress.
1: <laughs> yeah. um, we are the Amy Schumer.
0: <laughs> the Amy Schumers of all-male leftist podcasting. <laughs> no, but... So, one of the last conversations that I had with Raghav was two days before he passed away, and he we spoke about this specifically, was that he was feeling really kind of desperate and out of control, and he was planning on getting help and he was basically planning on, you know, s- trying to spend money that he he didn't have to try to get it. And it's, um, you know, I've experienced this myself with trying to find services like all different kinds of um, of healthcare services, especially in New York. Um, and it's really, it's prohibitively expensive and incredibly difficult. And it's, yeah, I mean, Medicare for all is definitely something that I have. I didn't believe it, it was, like, a top priority in 2016, and I think I was wrong about that. Um, and it's something I've had. I've had my own personal wrestling with a lot of socialist issues, and I've. this is the side that I've come out on. And, yeah, now I'm... Uh, mm-hmm. I'm a socialist on the internet, the best kind there is. So
1: are we? Are we owning all male leftist podcasts? Or are we owning ourselves for Guess not having what? the right <laughs> of the kids in 2015? No, I think the thing is too is it's like so you know, I was really into protesting the Iraq War. I think that I always had leftist values, but I think that um, it, like it felt like a pipe dream. Felt, like I, you know, my parents were. Not conservative, but like pretty moderate. And I, I had no exposure to leftism. I think it's like becoming more popular now. But I think that like the way that it became popular um, is a lot through the Bernie Sanders campaign. Like that's the first yeah, time that absolutely. a lot of people heard of democratic socialism. And like I knew a lot of women who were very turned off by it because they were like getting yelled at by dudes online um you know like and that i me a lot. yeah i was one yeah. of them <laughs> yeah you know but it, like guys would say things to me like uh don't vote with your vagina, and I'm like, okay, my vagina would not vote for Hillary Clinton. My <laughs> vagina would vote for the most skatery skater and the most flanneliest flannel flannel. Um,
0: your vagina would vote for Beto O'Rourke.
1: <laughs> yeah, my, my vagina for sure would vote for Beto. You know, it's <laughs> honestly, it's possible that my vagina would vote for Tulsi. Uh, <laughs> Tulsi, like when they asked her about like uh, <laughs> her being homophobic, which she really is, I think. Um, yeah, you know, I was just like. Damn, but like, part of me wants to be the one woman who wins you over. <laughs> you want to
0: be the th- woman who would turn Tulsi. Yes, I
1: want to be the woman who turns Tulsi. She's hot. I don't know. This is a feminist podcast. She I'm, does. I'm she in this has really
0: problematic territory. She has like a Stacey London white streak in her hair that is pretty chic. It's really hot. <laughs>
1: um, but <laughs> yeah, uh, problematic feminist podcast. Um, you know what? We <laughs> will never be the most problematic feminist we won't. podcast. That's that's um, in the leftist base. <laughs> Let's leave it there. But. <laughs>
0: There, You know, there are no slurs that you and I want to revive, so I think that w- that will never be number one.
1: Yeah, but I think, you know, we were both pretty, like, off-put by just the fact that, like, our introduction to socialism did come from a lot of, like, screaming white guys. Yes. It's taken me, like, a while to figure out, you know...
0: I've said I've said before that that is one of the reasons why it took me so long to get here. Yeah. It's because the I've always found in a way I've always found the message compelling. I found the messengers to be off-putting. Um,
1: and it's changed now. There's so totally. many like there's so there's so many great examples of um, women and like especially women of color who are I think really the defining voices in this conversation yeah Ocasio-Cortez uh Rashida Tlaib uh Ilhan Omar like I mean there's there's so many it's it's definitely not just like all about Bernie Sanders and it never was but I think it seemed that way to a lot of extremely online ladies yeah
0: yeah no it's i i think that and, and i also think that to their credit a lot of men in the leftist space have taken uh, uh, taken that criticism in stride and made space for uh for women and people of color and i think that that rocks
1: so credit where
0: credit is due
1: yeah but like you know we can like still like I mean, you know, we are friends with a lot of like very amazing uh, socialist men who are also feminists, <laughs> and you know, they mostly have great opinions. Um, but uh, it doesn't mean that we can't still try to own them sometimes. Look, <laughs> this
0: podcast is about dunking on all male <laughs> left and again, not really,
1: uh, not really all men. Just like like six of them that we all know male leftist podcast
0: <laughs> of which it's a very it's a very niche group. Yeah. Um, <laughs> No, we we just basically the two of us wanted there to be room in this conversation for different voices. And I think when you have more people in the room talking about particular issues, you get to a better place overall.
1: And I think also like for a lot of feminists, um, like I think that. I think that there is, I think a lot of feminists right now, like even feminists who have maybe identified as liberal or not thought very much about politics in the past are kind of coming to a place where there is a lot more consciousness not just uh, like of all types of intersectionality but like particularly um i think in the past like few years people are realizing the class needs to be part of Absolutely. intersectional feminism i was
0: yeah i was gonna say that but um you know intersectionality has been s- been something that's kind of uh it's a topic in the public sphere sphere and it has been for a while but i i agree with you that i think that the class element to that has been kind of underserved for a while now and I think it's finally and I include myself in this fine like I can I absolutely consider it a a pillar of of what I think intersectional feminism should be Um, but you know I'm also a white lady so I don't know
1: Uh (laughs) yeah what's really important is that um, I am finally gonna win the debate about socialism or feminism with my deceased partner. I am Yeah, here I am winning. Winning <laughs> this
0: argument against Kate's dead boyfriend. Yes.
1: Uh, <laughs> in a pod, in podcast
0: in form. In podcast form, which is how he would have wanted it. Yeah, exactly. Um, <laughs> yeah. um we yeah. Love You and We Miss You. Love you, Raga. <laughs> Let's do socialism together.
1: Yeah.
0: <laughs> okay. The first democratic primary debates for this week and we were introduced to our new personal queen uh marianne williamson no that is
1: wrong i was not introduced to marianne i've been a marianne fan for years
0: <laughs> oh yeah because you're from california I'm from okay. california well I, also yeah i have like
1: look i you know
0: kate i'm not just a regular white woman <laughs> i'm a white woman with at least 25 crystals in my room i was gonna say yeah. kate no disrespect but you are Are what I imagine when I think of Marianne Williamson's constituency.
1: (laughs) I fuck yeah, I'm Marianne or bust (laughs) now.
0: She is our uh, Michelle Bachman. She's uh, definitely a witch, and I am ready to devote my life to her.
1: So, okay, I I gotta say, and you know, I'm sure we'll return to this topic. I am voting for Bernie Sanders uh, for many reasons, but. there there is another world where I am actually supporting Marianne. And, you know, like, yeah, I get it. It's, like, funny. It's a joke, ha? But also, like, it's fucking cool that after – many centuries of witch, thousands of years, many many thousands of years of witch oppression that we have a fucking witch on the national debate stage. Like, that's badass as fuck. Like, we, I don't think that we've ever had a president who fucking does spells. And that's... Oh, our, man.
0: Yeah. Yeah, she... Her Twitter, if you haven't seen it, is incredible. She's been on Twitter for 10 years, which is a gift. And it's all it's a lot of tweets about like showering the prince of Saudi Arabia in divine light. (laughs) It's so good. She's uh, yeah. I mean, she's everything to me. That's all I can say about her.
1: I mean, the thing is, is, like, a lot of the stuff that she's saying sounds super nutty. Like, she's talking about how we need to bring love back into politics, which, yeah. like...
0: She she came out hard against plans. Yeah. <laughs> she said, Donald Trump will not be defeated by plans.
1: I feel like Marianne says a lot of stuff that I do believe, but I feel... I feel shame when someone else articulates it in public. <laughs> you know, I'm just like, we don't fucking talk about the crystal shit on TV.
0: That's why I think that shame is a good thing.
1: <laughs> other highlights for you? Were there other key highlights?
0: Um, Obviously, Biden getting dunked on in the first round was incredible. On um, the second night, um, Kamala, thank you for your service. Uh, I did. Yeah. I did love th- that. Ex- I I had to leave the room during that exchange where, um, Kamala <laughs> called Biden out for his record on busing, and then he basically, you know, did what we all do—called her a cop. <laughs> and I had to leave the room for that exchange because I, I get uh, confrontation is, uh, you know, I'm I'm very repressed and it upsets me. Um, but. Yeah, no, it was a great it was a great moment. I do I think I think Marianne talking about the moon was a top a top three for me.
1: <laughs> uh, I also really enjoyed the clip where she talks about defeating Donald Trump. Uh, let's play that clip right now. Sorry, we haven't talked more tonight about how we're going to
2: beat Donald Trump. I have an idea about Donald Trump. Donald Trump is not going to be beaten just by insider politics talk. He's not going to be beaten just by somebody who has plans. He's going to be beaten by somebody who has an idea what this man has done. This man has reached into the psyche of the American people, and he has harnessed fear for political purposes. So, Mr. President, if you're listening, I want you to hear me, please. You have harnessed fear for political purposes, and only love can cast that out. So I, sir, I have a feeling you know what you're doing. I'm going to harness love for political purposes. I will meet you on that field, and, sir, love will win
0: thank
1: you incredible yeah i mean there's part of me that like really does want to vote for Marianne because i feel like none of the other people uh in this debate prepared with an ayahuasca ceremony <laughs>
0: <laughs> i mean yeah she is definitely uh, this is fucking
1: full-on sorcerer shit
0: yeah um harnessing love she wants to do an exorcism on him divine light i think She also, I mean, this is a a visual thing, but please look it up if you haven't. Her skin is incredible, and I will buy whatever she's selling.
1: My feeling about Marianne is, like, I kind of feel like an old-school homophobe when I talk about Marianne, because it's like, I do believe in this witch shit, but I'm like, uh... Yeah, I mean, this really belongs in the privacy of our homes. <laughs> uh, I should, uh, if one woman wants to do a witch it with another man, uh, that is between <laughs> them and it should not be brought into the public space. Um. But it also, but it also does really excite me. Like yeah. I think that that's part of the reason that I'm still talking about it right now is because it is exciting to me on a deep level that she, uh, people are talking about a uh, lady sorcery in public.
0: <laughs> she's she stole our hearts and minds, and yeah, she is i can't t- yeah she's our, our michelle bachman she's our ben carson and Bi- joe biden is our jeb
1: <laughs> so really quick um so i think on this podcast uh, it's very likely that we will uh Jan uh bernie sanders and elizabeth warren yeah what do we think of how they did?
0: i thought i mean warren kind of had the, i was i was very upset in the beginning that warren was even though it was done randomly i felt like she kind of drew the short straw by being in the less like everyone just wants to see who's going to go after Biden because he's currently polling ahead of everyone else. But every, you know, the other point was made that like, she essentially had the floor to herself. And I think that that's true. Um, I think she's a highly effective communicator. Um, I thought Bernie was very consistent. I was disappointed in his performance and I th- but I think that it's a lot of big personalities on that stage and it was very much a the uh, Kamala and, and Joe show night too.
1: Yeah, I mean I thought Bernie did a pretty good job. Um, he's definitely not the most uh, charismatic uh, eighty year old pancake in the stack. So I don't, I don't agree with that.
0: I think he's extremely charismatic. You think he's
1: extremely charismatic? He, he is in his own way. I, yeah. I mean, this is this is really a longer debate. I, I've come around to Bernie Sanders. I used to hate Bernie Sanders. I, I used to really, like it bothered me that he yelled. I thought it just really rubbed me the wrong way. Uh, there was a period after Raga passed away when I was uh, getting high and reading Jacobin a lot. And then I watched <laughs> the Fox News debate or the Fox News town hall. And I truly fell in love with Bernie Sanders. Wow. And then right after that. I read, like, this political piece from 2015, like, before Bernie had any traction, and it was meant to be this fucking takedown, but it was, like, this takedown of this, like, unknown person. So it was talking about how he stole electricity uh, from his neighbors when he was, like, in his 30s so he wouldn't have to pay the utilities. And I actually thought that was really hot. I was like, would I fuck Bernie Sanders? <laughs> oh, yes, like, you was,
0: absolutely would. No,
1: I think I would have fucked young Bernie Sanders. But anyway, like... Um, yeah, I, I don't know. I thought you know, I don't think that he came off that well, but I, you know, I love what he said. Um, I was disappointed in his answer about abortion. Um, I think that that should be a question that he should be able to do a better job of answering right now because that is something that people keep asking him about in part because of this narrative that he is somehow misogynistic or sexist. And like he doesn't help himself by not being able to like articulate... His views on that clearly and compassionately which I'm sure that we believe all the same things but I just yeah. want him to do a better job of answering it
0: I think that basically he struggles with women yeah no, I mean <laughs> any like answering answering questions that are not direct that are du- not directly in his purview uh which is you know he brings pretty much every answer back to medicare for all which as a message, as a messaging strategy, that's very effective. Everybody knows exactly what Bernie Sanders stands for. Um, and that's part of the reason why he's he's been able to to build such a movement around him and yeah you and i are both bernie supporters and but i would yeah i would love him to do better on talking about women and people of color in this country
1: i hate when male politicians talk about women wanting to control their bodies it's like unless it's like for incontinence or something i'm never like i need to control my body
0: i mean look i'm you know i'm almost six feet tall i really can't control my body it uh, it it runs the show. It controls <laughs> me. I.
1: It's uh, like that old like um Andrew Cuomo thing. Like, did you read that? No. Like, oh my God. Let me. Oh, that. Up. Wait. That
0: that reminds me. Uh, that another highlight for me was that our our beloved mayor Bill De Blasio uh just could not stop referencing his black son, <laughs> in lieu of any real policy. <laughs> yeah,
1: it's like well you know. All right. Joe Biden is referencing his black friend who happens to be Barack Obama. Yeah. Uh, uh
0: and Marianne, her friend.
1: Uh, God. Yeah, so Bernie was talking about how women should be able to control their bodies and it kind of reminded me uh, of this uh, Andrew Cuomo uh, (laughs) statement that he said once where he said, uh, as a New Yorker, I am Muslim, I am a Jew, I am black, I am gay, I am a woman seeking to control her body. (laughs) We are one New York. I mean, it's problematic on many levels, but I just... That's, That's our Andrew Cuomo. It's just like, the fact that the fact that whether people should be legislating women's bodies is even up for debate like yeah. it's just a, there's so much sexism to even get there you know part of me would really like to hear someone like bernie just acknowledge like it is so messed up that we are even talking about this yeah. i think that that's the right move for his answer and then you know maybe like I don't think that there is, like, a super, super, super clear answer to what happens um, if abortion becomes completely illegal, which it already is in many in places. In many states. I mean, it's, it's going to be a real patchwork solution. Um, and it's and I think we should do a whole episode about it. But, you know, I definitely, like, I think at the minimum, um, I, I would like to hear some additional empathy. Yeah. I also,
0: I I really, the, one of the things that really confuses me about him is that he is kind of tiptoes around, or is very hesitant about some of the structural, some of the structures in our government, like the filibuster. And like, he's hesitant to blow up the filibuster. He does not, he openly opposes court packing. um, And he's hesitant on abolishing the electoral college. And I think as a populist, that's a very confusing stance to have. Because those three measures are meant to kind of return representation to the people, Um, so that that's always something that I don't, I'm not really clear on why where his opposition to the or hesitancy about those things comes from.
1: I think that Bernie thinks somewhat optimistically that it is possible to return those institutions to something that does reflect the will of the people. But I think that he's being a little Marianne Williamson about it. <laughs> <laughs> like, and it, I it's think such I, a fucking long road there. You I know. I know,
0: but I think if you're like the blow up the system candidate, it's a no brainer. Just like
1: Bernie. Remember when you stole electricity from your neighbors and you were a real rebel? Remember how hot that that's, was? We, that's we want you fucking to do that. Ending the filibuster.
0: Imagine your neighbor is Mitch McConnell. Um. Okay. Two pretty. S- Substantial Supreme Court decisions were made this week. Um, One of them was involving partisan gerrymandering. And the other one was about the 2020 census question about citizenship. And basically, the Supreme Court kind of punted on the citizenship question. And they said that it's, for now anyways, it's not um, permissible to have a question about citizenship on the 2020 census, which is a good thing. Um, and now
1: for the really fucked up one. Uh,
0: yeah, the partisan gerrymandering case didn't go didn't go that way. It was a five to four decision, of course. Uh, and this is
1: really one where we can truly see the impact of Kavanaugh because I think that for a long time, liberals at least, were very hopeful that Kennedy, if he were still seated, uh, would uh, potentially rule with uh, the liberal side of the court. As he had... As he had done sometimes, as yeah. he had, had yeah, done sometimes, but in, yeah, yeah, I mean, but certainly, like, certainly
0: not a, a reliable uh swing vote, but definitely on some of the big ones. Uh,
1: and we have seen like partisan gerrymandering struck down, um, in, in some lower courts. lower courts. Uh, I think, oh man,
0: let's back up a little bit. If you're not super familiar with gerrymandering, it's essential for partisan gerrymandering, it's essentially when, um, when the legislature goes one way or another politically after an election, that the ruling party in power can redraw the district maps. And gerrymandering is intentionally drawing the districts to favor your political party. And they do that through spreading and packing, which is spreading being spreading out the people that they want, whose votes they want to dilute, or packing to concentrate the votes of people who they want to kind of sequester to one, just one district. Um, And it's been done all over the country. It's been done by Democrats and Republicans, but it's been done more by Republicans and they've benefited way more from it um, in the past, however many decades. But basically the decision was, it was a five to four decision. Uh, John Roberts wrote the opinion and um, I believe Elena Kagan wrote the dissent. (laughs) John Roberts his uh, He's the chief justice, and the, I think that his majority opinion is insane, and it doesn't make any sense because he basically says that the federal court has no jurisdiction to legislate this, which is absolutely ridiculous. He said that like the Supreme Court doesn't get involved in political matters, which is historically ludicrous.
1: <laughs> and some of the previous decisions about g- gerrymandering have i think for the most part fallen on the side of like you know either all partisan gerrymandering is okay or some partisan gerrymandering gerrymandering is okay it's like like you know basically doing it in moderation but that you shouldn't be able to uh completely just pick your own voters
0: so basically it's in in light of this ruling i mean this it's really hard to overstate how impactful this ruling is going to be because it essentially gives Republicans the green light to gerrymander the hell out of whatever districts they want because they know that it won't be, it can't make it to the Supreme Court again, essentially.
1: I mean, it, and to be fair, like, it could also give. Democrats that same opportunity. But it won't. I mean, like, that's just not the world that we live in because Republicans have already been doing this power grab for so long.
0: Right. And so, what you're going to see at the state level now, but in Democratic states mostly, California just did it almost immediately, was passing laws at the state level prohibiting partisan gerrymandering. But the states most likely to adopt that are blue states. So it's
1: it's, it's a huge a, obstacle. It's, yeah, it's a really, really, really big obstacle, and you know,
0: it's. I, I mean, it's it's just like another way that our system has become anti-democratic. So, yeah, so incredibly, yeah. incredibly undemocratic. Um, yeah, between gerrymandering and the Electoral College and the Senate, um, abolish the Senate. I will say that forever on this podcast. Yeah, this is...
1: Yeah, no, totally. I mean, this is like if you were supposed to take a test of some kind, but that you personally got to write the questions for the (laughs) test. It's so unfair. Yeah. It's just straight up, like, anti-democratic cheating. And I think it shows a lot that, like... It shows a lot about... Uh, how little even Republicans believe that their policies are popular, that they think that the only way to win is just to completely Absolutely.
0: Absolutely. And, you know, voting rights have been under siege in so many different ways. Everything short of literacy tests from, you know, the 1950s, uh, pre-the Voting Rights Act, you know, people have found themselves purged from the voter rolls. It's Georgia was the state where... um, the state attorney general was running for governor against uh, Stacey Abrams. And the state attorney general is the one who dictates the voting laws. Um, yeah, the, they believe clearly time and again that the only way to win is to cheat. And they're good at it. And that's why I think that Democrats should start cheating more. Because if that's how the fucking game is going to be played, like Mitch McConnell lives and breathes to cheat. And I think that we need to start playing dirty because we should have started a long fucking time ago.
1: I don't really know what to do about this situation. Like this, this is one of those ones where like, I'm just saying like, this is like fucked up. I have no ideas.
0: I, I just think that like taking the high road has not worked for us. And it's gotten us when
1: they go low.
0: When they go low, we're we like, yeah, for sure. And we
1: cry uh, because there's not that early. And we start
0: a podcast <laughs> when when they when they go low. We podcast. We podcast. <laughs> we pod. Oh my god! Yeah, we should bring on our guests. I do. I do want to say uh I was not moved by Pete Buttigieg's performance. Oh my god! I hate Mayor Pete. Mayor Pete. Uh, they're like,
1: I'm a queer person. I hate Mayor Pete. (laughs) That's not why I hate Mayor
0: Pete. Mayor Pete that thinks that the invisible hand of the market threw the first brick at Stonewall. Uh, And he's also just
1: a complete fucking nerd.
0: Yeah, he's such a windbag. I don't know. He says a lot, but he's not saying a lot, if you know what I mean.
1: Okay, as much as I can hate Pete for days, I really do think it's time to bring on our guest.
0: We have our, our first guest here today and we're super excited she is a writer she's a film critic she's a comedian we're so excited to talk to her um thank you so much jordane searles yay thanks for having Hi. me
1: Welcome to the show. Thank you for coming and being Reply Guys with us.
2: (laughs) (laughs) No, I have plenty of Reply Guys, so I relate.
1: (laughs) Okay, so do you have, is there one Reply Guy that really stands out to you? Do you have an incident with a specific Reply Guy that was the worst?
2: Well, I have people that will respond to literally everything I tweet. Like, even if it's just like... You do, I see them.
1: (laughs)
0: They're out there.
2: It'll be like, oh, I like this movie. And they'll be like, but what about this movie? or something like that and like oh it's especially weird when i tweet stuff about my fiance because people feel like a very parasocial connection to us where they're constantly like they feel like they're in this relationship with us and it's very strange
0: your um your fiance has a, a youtube channel right yes
2: he has a youtube channel and he has a following which is also kind of my follow. they have yeah. migrated to me also
0: oh, i watched some of your videos they're so cute yeah, yeah, he's
2: very good at what he does. But yeah, um, I have reply guys who, uh, like, just yesterday, all I said, I said something really innocuous, like I think that De Palma is a better director than Paul Schrader, and somebody was just like, um, excuse me, what about Taxi Driver? And I said Scorsese directed that, <laughs> and then it was just like, but it's, but it's constantly like people just feel the need to say something without even like really checking if it makes sense. <laughs>
0: That's absolutely my experience on twitter.com. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so, you are a film critic and a cultural critic, and also a leftist, is that right? Yes,
2: that's right.
1: <laughs> so, for the leftist that is interested in cinema, are there any particular films that you would recommend? Uh, I would
2: say anything by the director Lizzie Borden—not the same one that got an axe. There's another one. Um, she's directed <laughs> films like *A Working Girl*, *Born in Flames*, which is one of the few like um, socio-political films that you know actually is about women um (laughs) that's good um logan lucky is a really good recent one i consider logan lucky that entire heist to be praxis i really do (laughs) um you gotta watch it it's great support the girls which i think is a really important one because it's like it's about these women who work at this kind of like Hooters like restaurant. And it's about like how they're treated like shit, like from the top down from like customers to management and everything. And these are just people that are trying to live and work and they're doing a kind of job that people look down on because it's supposed to be easy to like, Oh, they're just hot. It's like, no, it's actually a job. Um, (laughs) And uh, for a classic one, I would say nine to five, nine to five, nine to five is a classic one. And if you're looking for like one, that's a little bit more, um, horror thrillery there's a uh, most beautiful island which is about this um undocumented immigrant woman that's trying to make it in new york and that one's that one's really fascinating
0: nine to five is the only one of any of those movies that i've heard <laughs> of uh so i will have to check all of those out
1: this is quite the list of films to check out so I'm not sure, we're not really sure who the listenership is going to be for this podcast, but I think that some of our listeners, at least, will be people who, women who are new to leftism, so would you be willing to talk about one of these films, maybe 9 to 5, and talk about a little bit, like, why it's a leftist film for people who are just getting into this?
2: <laughs> 9 to 5 is, like a, like, a little entry level, but it's really interesting because it's basically about organizing in the workplace against your shitty boss it's just these women come together and they're just like he's a sexist pig he's a shit and he's like you know he's kind of like blocking us or trying to manipulate us to sex and it's like these different women you know who have opinions about each other that judge each other like um Dolly Parton plays like the really like sexy one and so everybody judges her it's about them kind of like getting over their differences and like working together against a common enemy and that is the man like (laughs) like physically and Historically, and you know it leads to like it leads to them like getting better conditions in the office which I mean organizing that's that's so important and I mean oh yeah the other movie that I feel like uh that like I'd be remiss not to mention because I'm sure I can just feel the replies coming sorry to bother you also has an organizing element it's a shame that women aren't really involved in the organizing but anyway I wrote an essay about that and the director got very mad but it's true (laughs) um but yeah didn't he block you no, he didn't block me. he oh. never do that. He loves to talk too much okay. to do that. No, <laughs> no, but like if like it's sorry to bother you is like a very like direct one because it's like literally it's a bunch of people working at a call center and they are organizing against you know like their low wages and getting better conditions, getting more break times and like that's that's more direct. It's you know maybe next time they'll have one where the women get to do something. Mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> so I have two questions for you. The first one is: Boots Riley is one of your reply guys? <laughs> That's fucking amazing. He
2: did like it was a thing. I was um I was I was at Bitch. I was I, I still write for Bitch Media like on a freelance basis, but I was their um pop culture criticism fellow of last year, and so I wrote a piece about uh the way that Tessa Thompson's character was um, portrayed in the film, and Boots Riley. Literally replied to the piece with like a three page essay explaining why I was wrong about the character.
0: Wow. <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> Honestly, Kate and I are going to be hard pressed to top that uh, with any of ours.
1: Yeah, a lot of my reply guys are just uh, comedians that I know in yeah. real life. <laughs> for sure. uh, um, so, <laughs> my second question for you is I, I love how you put that uh, fighting the man. Uh, literally and metaphorically does this mean that you identify as a socialist feminist i i do yes i'm a socialist feminist
0: (laughs) hell yeah um i one of the reasons why kate and i wanted to start this podcast is because we have spoken a lot about the people who are often excluded from the discourse in leftism and especially in you know online leftism i think Mm -hmm. are are oh yeah definitely (laughs) our corner of the of the internet i
2: mean yeah it's it's very weird because there's like a there's like the thing where it's like a lot of the leftists are men and then there's that one leftist podcast that's not run by men that's run by um i I think that they're people i assume like i think (laughs) that they might be human i'm
0: not sure It's, it's so frustrating because it feels like the voices who are the loudest are um it's like a very kind of monolithic group and so I just wanted to know if you could like talk about your experience as a black woman and a disabled woman and a leftist
2: uh yeah um the disabled discourse is like very interesting like it's very insular like I'd say that like disabled socialist and disabled leftist like we all talk to each other and it kind of feels like no one talks to us (laughs) um so yeah there's that I mean it's like I don't know, like it, it's kind of like uh, all of these different ways where you can get excluded in all different. Co- like I have so many opportunities to get excluded, like depending on what day it is. It's really great. Uh, it, it usually uh, it usually takes like uh, someone uh, being a real ally and like amplifying stuff. like like my fiance is like a white man. And so, like, whenever I, you know, talk about these kinds of things, he tries to amplify me. That's the best thing that, that's, like, the best that he can do. And, of course, he feels like he should just, like, shut up, Um, which I really appreciate. It's a really, (laughs) it's a really great impulse. But, yeah, it kind of comes with, uh, like, like, for example, like, Janet Mock is a really big deal. And Janet Mock, I feel like, made a lot of space for a lot of, like, trans people in media, and especially trans people of color. It kind of takes, like, someone with a lot of clout to kind of, like show up and just be like hey <laughs> you have to like listen to other perspectives like you have to or it's the solidarity is not real like there's no there's no liberation f- if it's just white people there's no liberation if it's like just men so I mean it's either you know we work together or we don't make it like there's really no other option
1: do you feel like the do you feel like leftism is as dominated by white dudes as it seems like it is online?
2: Um, No, uh, I don't think so. I think that there's a lot of, like, grassroots organizing done by queer communities and black communities, queer black communities, and and so on and so on and so forth that you just don't really get the play or the attention. And I do think that there is this, this obsession with, like, being right online and like dunking on each other online and also kind of like everyone in terms of media kind of like circling the same stories and the same things like a hawk where it's like there are organizers on the ground for everything like when people were talking about the the heartbeat builds like there are organizers on the ground that are addressing this like it's just like uh, instead of it takes I think you have to have an interest in either like going down there and trying to figure out what's going on. Like I notice this a lot with like stuff that happens in Georgia cause that's where I'm from. And I care a lot about that community. And I was, you know, I was there like there, m- my hometown, Augusta's like first pride parade, which was like only like a, like less than a decade ago that we had our first one. Wow. Um, And that took organizing that took planning that took people on the ground trying to make it, t- trying to make a difference. So I think, in general there needs to be more attention paid to grassroots organizing and like actually people that are protesting that are putting their bodies on the line for this work and i just feel like we don't talk about them enough or pay attention to them enough and they're there and they don't want credit yeah like they just want the work to be done
0: i worked a lot uh recently in the housing justice for all coalition uh working with dsa and different members of the coalition who uh, different groups to get all of the rent control bills passed. We got eight of nine uh, passed and it was, you know, a huge victory. But the thing about that is the people who have been doing that work for the longest are, you know, not even DSA at, at all. It's communities of, of like communities of color uh, have been fighting for tenants for decades. And, Um, the work is thankless Uh, and I, I think one of the things that really made me appreciative about the people in DSA is that that is brought up at every single meeting basically is that we were not here first and you know we need to give deference where deference is due. Yeah.
1: Yeah I think that there definitely is a stereotype among a lot of people that like socialism is just something that is for white bros or people who think about economic justice a lot are just like you know white guys in their 20s and i i think that that's not true but i do think that like twitter is a toxic place that has really amplified (laughs) that perception (laughs) and that maybe yeah, I don't know. To me, it feels like there's a really big difference between the people who are talking a lot on the internet and the people who are like actually doing stuff in real life.
2: Right, I mean, and the, sometimes there's overlap, but it's important to pay attention to, like, you know, like, I, I always tell, I can always tell, like, there are a lot of leftists online that, like, for example, I keep on coming back to this because I'm from the South, who, like, kind of talk about the South like it's just, like, a lost cause. And that I feel like should be an indication of maybe this is not a person that you should be listening to because this is a person that thinks that people from the South aren't people. (laughs) So like, uh, yeah, I think that there's a lot of like in terms of the creation of the. There was an I was going to write an essay. It was going to be like right after the election. It was one of the first big things that I pitched. It was going to be at a. Uh, I can't remember the publication, but uh, they rejected it. But it was an essay about how um, I was so aggravated with um, snarky progressivism. And it was funny because I pitched it before the election results. And then once Hillary lost, I feel like everyone felt bad and like felt like it would be weird to publish a thing where i was like finger wagging at other leftists because everyone was in mourning but i do think that it was just like it just became this thing where everybody was just being shitty Yeah. <laughs> and totally. i wanted to talk about it and like it just you know it didn't work out but um i still think that the shittiness is still there <laughs>
0: yeah
1: so what are some things that people don't understand about leftism in the south or things to get excited about it that our listeners may not be aware of yet
2: well it's like i think there's less i I don't know like i didn't really get into like media internet culture until i moved here when i lived in georgia i would like do things like i'd be in women's studies club or whatever but i never talked about it online the only reason why i do now is because i just know a lot of other people that do i think there's a lot of work going on in the South that's a lot quieter than the work up here. And I don't know why that is. Like, I don't know why I'm online more, but, like, I, I had a Twitter account when I was in Georgia, never used it. Like, <laughs> and now I use it all the time here. And I wonder if it's just this, like, sense of isolation that we're all in these, like, big cities, but we're not hanging out with each other um, in a sense. And I think in the South, it's, like, it's a little bit more community-based and it's a little bit more, like... Here's a flyer.
0: <laughs> yeah. I think that's so important to remember. And to Kate's point earlier, I just know for a fact that a lot of the people who are the loudest online about leftism, uh, a number of them just straight up don't vote and mm. uh, have never like, organi- like, been to an organizing meeting or yeah. canvassed their neighborhood or whatever. So I... That helps me sleep at night. I think. I think, uh, <laughs> I think
2: that there's a lot of like big city nihilism that's going on. Like it's like you know people believe in socialism, but to, but they don't believe that there's anything worth saving. <laughs> at the same time, which is kind of like at odds. I mean, my general issue with running into leftists online is that like you can t- that like I think it's important that your politics are are passionate. Which now I'm just. Naming a bell hooks book, which you should definitely read, passionate politics. Um, <laughs> but I think that it should be it should be passionate, and I think that it should be rooted in a desire for everyone to be okay and to be taken care of because like that's like this idea like like I tweeted I think just the other day that um I have a master's in writing and I can't get an editorial writing job and a lot of a lot of the responses were nice they were just like oh yeah girl like we get it um but then a lot of the other responses were just like well are you doing this 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 and this and I think that there's this idea that like no one's working hard enough. And I think that that even like bleeds into leftism sometime. And I think that that's a way of thinking that we have to let go of this idea that like we have to be obsessed with whether or not each other are working hard. Like the point is, is that we all deserve to have the things that we need to live. That's more important.
1: Yeah, that competitive framework in a way is like capitalism at its core, right? Uh, exactly. No, that's,
2: that's exactly what it is. And yeah, that's why like, uh, you know, with the whole like student loan forgiveness thing with this being like a debate, like it's not, why should we have to pay to go to school anyway? Like it just doesn't, it doesn't make sense. Like I owe like 80K in student loans, which is funny because um, I worked all through undergrad I had multiple jobs and then I came here for grad school and I got a full ride for tuition but then I still had to take out loans to live in New York so even though like I would owe like double that amount if I didn't get a tuition full ride but just like living in an apartment and like eating and getting around like still led me to owe a lot of money in loans and it has nothing to do with like me being lazy it's like but like it's 80k where am I supposed to get it where's (laughs) where's it supposed to come from I don't get it like some people only make like I make personally I'm a very poor person I make less than like 20k a year and I can say that like it's true Uh, like I don't got shit and so it's very like where am I supposed to get the money like if it's if it's like more than i make in a year Yeah. Then how many years is it supposed to take? Like, it's such a weird thing. Like, it's like this idea that like debt makes you stronger. No, it doesn't. Debt makes you anxious. I'm anxious all the fucking time. If I don't have any like if like if my if my balance goes to a certain amount, I have a full on panic attack. I'll like, you know, sometimes when I'm trying to like buy something regular, like like socks. Like, I'll just be like, man, cause I have big feet. I'm like a size 10. So like my socks are expensive. So I'll be like looking at the socks and I'll just be like, can I afford socks? Like, that's not normal. Like, I mean, it's normal, but it shouldn't be normal. It's weird. Wow.
0: Uh, size 10, women, size 10 represent, uh, <laughs> incredible. Um, I, I have, yes, (laughs) I also have, uh, large feet and, uh, tens of thousands of dollars in student loan debt. Um, but I, I, mine is just from, mine's just from undergrad. Uh, and I still have, I've, I have left, I think I have $22,000 and, I have paid since I graduated. I looked at it recently, which I don't recommend looking at how much has gone towards your principal balance and how much has gone towards your interest. I've paid over $15,000 since I graduated and only 7000 of that has gone towards my principal balance, um, which made me want to uh, cry for the rest of my life. Yeah. And it's just fucking immoral. It- to, this system is like... There's really, there's the thing that really upsets me the most about it is that there is no reason for college or grad school to be this expensive because it has outstripped the pace of inflation, the cost of it, by over 300% or something like that in the past 30 years. Yeah, And it's not because they're not paying professors more no at all they aren't like they're they're getting rid of tenure track positions when i was
2: at nyu like it was like constantly a shuffle and we were constantly losing professors to schools that would pay more and it's weird because it's like it's nyu you would think all they have is money like you would think
0: that but no (laughs) they're getting i mean at all levels at all different colleges they're getting rid of tenure track professorships entire departments and relying on adjuncts that they pay less and work give like double the course load to right exactly. um and but w- yeah basically they've just hired more administrators and more consultants and that's why yeah it's that's why you're seeing the like people who graduate from undergrad with six figures of student loan debt which is absolutely absurd even if i went to a state school even if i had gone i'm from massachusetts if i'd gone to umass i still would have graduated with a decent amount of student loan debt it's yeah. not like it's it's crazy that at 18 years old, you're supposed to make the biggest financial decision of your life.
2: And like, I mean, and you know, a lot of these decisions, I mean, I mean, for me, I went to grad school because I was trying to get out of a bad situation in Georgia. It was like, oh, I get to go to a city. And like this. the side of that is that I like get all this debt. But it's also just like. Usually takes something big to get people out of bad situations too. So it's I don't know. I'm supposed to feel bad that I desperately wanted to get out of my hometown when I am so much happier not being there. I don't know.
1: Yeah, I I posted this thing maybe six months ago, and I was just posting about like how expensive it is to live. Like between making student loan payments, my student loans are paid off. Took. Ten years, and honestly, some help from my family. I could not have done it by myself. I think I had like 40, 50 something thousands of dollars of debt. Probably did about half and half um, in terms of like me paying it off and my family helping me. I know there's like a lot of privilege in that, and you know, but I was still paying like five hundred something a month. That's payment. That's still a lot it was, of money. It was still a lot, you know. Like I, <laughs> I mean, I guess you know. I think it's important to talk about how much money you make. I think probably I, no. right now. I think right now between like comedy and a day job I have, I'm probably making in like the high 40s. Mm. Um, That means that I don't qualify for any health insurance subsidies. So that means that if I want like any kind of health insurance at all, it's like 400 something dollars a month. And like, you know, I just feel like between like all of these expenses that people in their 20s and 30s, have, you know, like health insurance um, if you're a freelancer, as many of our friends are, or, you know, even if you're paying through for your work, like student loan payments, housing costs, you know, like... I live in an apartment in Brooklyn. It's great. We're recording here right now. I live with three roommates. Like my Ryan is still like about $1,000 a month. Like it sucks. And you know, so I was posting about this online <laughs> and this comedian that I know that I, I do think that her heart is in the right place. It's Like you can do it. You can save money. Oh like my you can, God. You, know, it's <laughs> like I, you know, I lived with so many roommates and like, you know, I, I scrimped and saved and I like put away this money and like now I have a house and like, you know, I paid off my student loans. It's and just it's like, the thing is, is like, yeah. Like, I I understand, like, yes, like, people can, you know, eat pasta and all this stuff. But the point is, is, like, when my parents were my age, like, they were able to have a three-bedroom house, two children, you know, had health insurance, two cars. And I'm not saying that we all need all that or that it's responsible. But the thing is, is, like, because... I think a certain economic independence is, like, achievable for some people we know. Or the fact that people will say, like, oh, well, why don't you just move to a small place? Yeah, because I can't work there and I don't want to live there. It's just
2: this idea that, like, it's just this idea that, like, struggling is this, like, rite of passage that everyone has to go through. That it's character building. That it's, like, that it's character building. It's anxiety building, honestly. And it's just... I mean, I I don't know, I've struggled a lot and I know sometimes, like, I'll talk to people, I'll tell people about my life, which I hate doing now because people get so dramatic and they'll just be like, oh, you've survived so much and it makes you so strong. And it's like, no, but, like, but I shouldn't have had to go through it and I also, like, don't think I'm special. I just think that, like, this is shit, and nobody should have to go through it. Like, I don't, I don't like roll up on people and just be like, Well, I went through all of this, so yeah. you have to, like, no, calm down. Like, why do we want each other to be miserable? Like, that's such a strange thing to me.
0: That's <laughs> why I think that the argument against student loan forgiveness or against fr- like dramatically reduced or free tuition, it, it always sounds like that. It's like, Well, I had to suffer, so you do too. In what world? do should human beings be treating each other like that like yeah if you have like i just think of it as like parents and children i don't know you like most parents want their kids to struggle less than they did and that's how i feel about everyone who comes out like i don't want i I would never want yeah no i don't want anyone to to have so much more student they're already so sad so they can't They're so upset all the time. <laughs> so I don't want I don't want that for them. They no. are, they're dealing with a lot. They are hot. I think that's something that we should mention. <laughs> I don't know. Gen Z is very sex oh. positive in a way that I am makes me nervous. I'm literally sweating. I'm sorry. I'm ripping the mic away
1: from Julia before she gets canceled for saying teens are hot. <laughs> well, <laughs> teens are hot.
2: Oh my god. I'll say it. Teens yeah. are hot. Yeah. I mean it's. I mean, <laughs> teens are—they're very. You know what? I went to go. I will say this: um, I have a sister who is 12. Um, That's not what I meant. No, 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 no. No, You're whoa, talking whoa, whoa. about how your sister's hot. This is no, messed up, man. That this that is, is really not what I'm saying. Up. I, I, I do not
1: support any of this. Do not no, cancel me. Oh my god. Cancel okay. these other people. So
2: I went. So I went to go see my sister, and like I don't know what generation she's supposed to be, but I go to see her, and she's so confident and she's like telling me like how she's like she's like turning down guys and shit and she's just like oh yeah he likes me but like I don't care and it's just like and I'm just like I don't what is this like where did this where did this energy come from and why don't I have it I agree and I'm you know I think think that's what you're trying to say thank you that is what I
0: was trying to say uh Gen Z is very and probably the generations thereafter they're very sex positive and I am you know myself, and I... They've uh, got other things to worry about. I, worrying it's about really hard the, for They're me. worrying
2: about the planet dying. They don't have time to worry about hang-ups, about,
1: like, yeah. sex. Like, yeah. who cares? <laughs> yeah, I mean, <laughs> you know, what is the apocalypse going to be like if we're not all going to fuck? Right, exactly. <laughs> no. Like,
2: I mean, if we're not all... Fu- like, what even? What even are we going to be... <laughs>
1: You know what this kind of reminds me of, though? This, like, debate about, like, you know, well, you know, things were hard for me, so they should continue to be hard for the next generation. Like, it actually reminds me of a lot of the conversations I've seen uh, from feminists my age, 30s and older, uh, around Me Too, um, like, especially when some of the kind of more... I don't know. I hate the term gray area, but you know, some some situations came out that that maybe it's not like what we're used to thinking about as wrong. Maybe. Dry. It's not not like cut and dry situations. Situations that involve a lot of nuances of communication and like you know, Aziz, for example. Like I would see people online being like, oh, you know, well like this is just how sex is. And no. I you know, and that's what I thought when I read it. Like I wasn't like defending it, but I was like, wow, this reminds me of a lot of the well, I think that, that I had in my 20s. I think that
2: there's a I think that there's a divide because I know that there are a lot of things that like like, I've, I've, of course, like, dealt with, like, actual sexual assault. But then, you know, there's the other things that it's just, like, this is uncomfortable, I don't like this, but I can't say that I don't like this, and I don't know why I don't like this, and I don't know how to communicate with this person that I'm doing it with. And, like, I think that the Aziz thing was a lot of that. Like, it's just, like, he's not... It's a lot of it's, like, men not really realizing that we're people, which is really the real issue. Like, yeah. w- what you call it is really secondary. It's that he did not recognize that her as a person was not having a good time and she gave plenty of signs that she was not having a good time and he could not read it and i think that men are taught to not read it they're like oh she's doing it oh she's fine oh she's fine she's do- like we're here. like i think that that's what's really and i think that it kind of got lost because everybody was so mad at like babe.net instead of just yeah. being inst- instead of just being like wow men like it's like you can cry Like, you can cry before sex, and a man will still have sex with you.
1: (laughs) Like, it's like, that's fucked up. Well, I mean, sometimes I definitely have sex with boys who cry a lot, but it's more because the music is so good, (laughs) and they just feel so much. Um, But yeah, I mean, I think what I was speaking to was just more of this, like, weird kind of, like, fucked up, like, hazing mentality of, like, well, our generation went through something awful, so the oh, next yeah, generation like, it's such should have to go through, too. It's, like, such no. a weird thing to like, brag if about. People, if people are, like, having better sex now, or, like, freedom from super crushing student loan debt, like, that's amazing. That's it's, the only thing that makes me feel better about what I went through. It's so wild
2: to just be like, oh, my God, well, yeah, like, guys tried to, like, push my head to their dick all the time, and I just, like, dealt with it. It's like, but you know that you're a person, Yeah, right? like...
0: <laughs> there was, oh, man, there was there was an episode of Parks and Recreation that talked exactly about this, and it was this, like, really old female councilwoman on the show, and she was, like, she talked about how um, when she came to City Hall, the men, like, charted when she would have her period or something like that. Oh, my God. <laughs> it's like, and they would tell me when I had my period, and I couldn't even say anything because they were right. <laughs> but, yeah, no, there is this weird, like, thing about how much yeah people i th- I think it's i think it's a generational thing to be like proud of the pain that you went through oh yeah it, it and it, it it's like it's is. a it's a baby boomer thing and it's a greatest generation thing and it's because they went through so, so much and i think yeah i think with every generation it just becomes increasingly apparent that we don't have to do that to no be whole people no. i remember
2: i was talking to a relative um about being assaulted and i remember she was just like oh yeah me too and i was just like cool but like i could use comfort right now like we don't like you don't have to be like oh yeah this happened to me too it's like this weird thing where it's like oh yeah i got like i got like blown up and nom and like it's just like we don't have to talk about sex like that it's weird yeah <laughs> yes. it's just like oh yeah we've all been cool join the club like we're all just gonna like it's okay (laughs) to want
1: it's okay to want everyone's lives to be good it's
2: okay to like not want people to feel pain like I personally I mean unless people unless the person sucks I generally don't want anyone to feel pain if they suck I don't really care
0: um (laughs) no I would describe losing my virginity as my personal Vietnam (laughs) but um that's really that's just me
2: (laughs) I lost my virginity to a guy who was much older than me and bought me juice boxes. It's weird. It's all weird. Whoa. I yes. lost my
1: virginity to my high school drug dealer. Uh, he, he, was in ju- he was in he was in he uh, was in junior college, um, which was I think like thirty dollars a semester at that time. So you know, so she's creating more more opportunities for him. I think he, rep- <laughs> he repairs appliances now and. Uh, Yeah, I told my mom about it because she was, like, one of those, like, cool moms that was, like, oh, you know, like, tell me everything. And I did. I told her that I had lost my virginity. I think I was, like, 16. And, uh, you know, she asked me if he, like, took me on a date first. And um, I... Uh, I told her, yeah, he did. He took me to Marie Calendar's, and she was fucking appalled. (laughs) I was in so much trouble, not for, um, not for having sex, but for having sex with a guy who would take me to Marie Calendar's. No,
2: you deserve better. I had a guy take me to take me to CC's Pizza once, which I don't know if you know what that is. It's just like this. I sure do. It's it's a pizza buffet chain, and he took me there, and then he tried to get me to suck his dick, and I was just like, wow, wow. But like, like, take me to like. A place that has like napkins. Yeah, that's
0: like, a, that's not a Cece's like pizza Reusable napkins. I've actually I've never been there, but I know enough to know.
2: No, it's like where you take kids that you meet. Yeah. Like it's like, <laughs> uh, I have to take my kids for the weekend. I guess I'm taking them for Cece's
1: pizza. <laughs> so it's like, what does this prove, really? Like at the end of the day, you know, we're all leftists until someone's trying to fuck us. Oh yeah, <laughs> so that's where the capitalism comes in. Oh yeah, no, totally. Oh. No. I think that we are out of time. I really. this was an amazing first interview thank you so much for coming on reply guys Um, I think that uh as far as, like, uh, Reply Guy of the Week, uh, I think Boots Riley is <laughs> the best Reply Guy of the Week that we're probably going to have for a long oh time. Oh, God. So thank you so much, Jordane.
0: Oh, thank yeah. you so much, Jordane Boots. We know you're going to listen to the show. So uh,
2: Jezebel did a write-up of it, and it was wild. <laughs> yeah, and uh, pour,
0: pour one out for babe.net. Uh, <laughs> thank you so much, Jordane. It's rocked. Thank you so much for listening to Reply Guys. The show is hosted by Kate Willett and me, Julia Clare. Our producer is Genevieve Garrity. Our theme song was performed by Emily Framgen, who wrote the song with our own Kate Willett. Our artwork is by Adrienne Lubel. If you want to find us on Twitter, we're at Kate Willett with two L's and two T's. And I'm at O Julia O H Julia Tweets. And Twitter is where you can also find our reply, guys. They're always there. Bernie, take us out. As I went walking.